point because uh, this is the first revival I've tried to attempt with limited vision. And tonight, I want to share with you, I think I've got a PowerPoint somewhere. Um, I want to share with you four words that changed my life. And uh, I, tonight, I'm going to be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the heroes of the faith, and a little bit in chapter 12. And hopefully, before the night's over, you will realize that God has a plan for your life and that God... Uh, wants to use you in the king in the kingdom of God, and that, that no matter where you are in your life, even if you're you're old and and maybe feel like uh, there's no place for you, or maybe you're sick and and don't know what tomorrow holds, or maybe you're like me who's gone through some struggles. I want to tell you tonight that God's not finished with you yet. He has something in store for you to do, and tonight. Uh, I'm going to challenge each one of you because I think you have an awesome, incredible opportunity this weekend to do something great in the kingdom of God. And he's going to make that uh, aware to you before the night's over, I, I hope and pray. Uh, I, there are four words, and I'm going to see if this works. There, there you go. Works great. Thanks. Had great instruction tonight, and that's why I was able to do that properly. Four words that changed my life when I was 13 years old. I grew up in central Virginia. Most of my life uh, as a, a child uh, growing up lived in Alta Vista or Lynchburg, Virginia, one of those two towns. And I remember one year I had the privilege and opportunity to go to the Christian service camp there not Pennsylvania, but Pittsylvania County uh, in central Virginia. And it was there at camp that my life was changed forever. Uh, the first day that we got there, I noticed something that was really exciting. There was a swimming pool there at the camp. Now, I had never been in a swimming pool before. I'd been in a creek. I'd been in a pond. I'd gone to the lake. Uh, but I had never been in a swimming pool, and so I couldn't wait to get in the swimming pool uh, that day when we got to camp. Uh, I, I didn't even notice or care that the water in the swimming pool was pumped directly out of the creek right there beside it, and it was full of that uh, central Virginia red clay mud. And so, really, it may have looked more like the Nile after, you know, God had delivered the plague from Egypt. Uh, but it, that didn't bother me at all. But, you, you know, you couldn't see how deep it was or any of that stuff. Well, the first day, they had these, they called them Olympic Games in order for everybody to get to know each other. And I signed up for one of the water events because I wanted to get in the pool as soon as I possibly could. And so that afternoon, uh, I was attempting to compete against several other people in an underwater race, and I had never tried to swim underwater in my life and had never been in a swimming pool in my life. When they blew the whistle, I dove into the swimming pool and somehow or another went straight down to the bottom, and my head hit the bottom of the pool. It actually knocked me unconscious, and had it not been 
for a man that was there to, to speak for the chapel service that day, noticing that I didn't come back up, I probably wouldn't be here today. He happened to be there, had his four, four, three-piece, four-piece, five-piece suit on, whatever he had on. Back, back in those days, preachers wore them even to camp. Can you imagine that, Archie? Isn't that crazy? But anyway, he had on his suit and tie and all that stuff, and they told me he jumped in the water and he pulled me out. I was still unconscious. Uh, there was a singing group there that week from Roanoke Bible College, um, and the, the fellow who was singing lead for that passed from this life just a few weeks ago, Bob Molden. It was a spokesman quartet. And I, I remember um, waking up on the way to the uh, hospital and realizing that they didn't have an ambulance. They had taken all of the seats out of the spokesman quartet van and they had pulled a door off of one of the buildings and they had used that for a stretcher put towels around my neck, and I woke up probably two miles or so from the hospital. It was like a 30-minute drive. And they weren't sure whether I was going to live or die. They took me in there. I spent three days uh, in the hospital, and when they finally got a neck brace on me and, and were going to send me home, I said, I want to go back to camp. They said, you can go back to camp, but you can't get back in the swimming pool. And so anyway, I got back to camp, and I can remember Bob Molden leading the songs. I don't know how many of you have ever heard Bob sing or heard him preach, but uh, as a 13-year-old, I was mesmerized at his sermons. And the, and the spokesman quartet, I thought if I could ever grow up and sing songs like that in churches, it would be like heaven. And I can remember during one of those song services, Bob Molden looked out and he saw me and I was trying to sing and I was holding the neck brace at the same time to try and keep it from hurting me. And Bob Molden stopped everybody. He said, I want you to just stop. He said, I want everybody to sing like Tony. And, and even though most of the kids knew that I was the guy who dove into the swimming pool, probably not many of them really knew who I was. But that day I got to know those people and, and and later on that day, one of the guys from the Spokesman Quartet came up to me and shared with me four words that changed my life. And, and that's why I want to share them with you tonight because I believe that what he told me is true for you today as well. He came up to me and said, Tony, God can use you. As a 13-year-old boy, I had never thought about God using me. I thought about maybe growing up and maybe doing some music or maybe being a mad scientist because I loved science when I was growing up, but never thought about God using me. But it seems like at every turn in my life, I kept hearing those four words, God can use you. And the reason I wanted to share that with you tonight as we open this revival meeting is that I believe that you have that unique opportunity this weekend for God to use you in a special way. You know, there are a lot of people right now that haven't been to church for a long, long time. Some of them because they're afraid of COVID. I understand that. I've got family and friends that feel the same way. But some who have just gotten out of the habit because of staying home for COVID. Other folks, maybe they've just lost interest. Maybe they've forgotten God or thought God had forgotten them. 
This weekend, I, I challenge you to allow God to use you. There's somebody in your life, somebody in your family, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody that you work with, somebody that you see at the store, somebody that you know that needs Jesus more than anything. And especially now, I don't know how long this world's going to last. I don't know how long I will be in this world. I tell my wife every day, I'm living on extra innings right now because God has granted me more time. But we're not granted extra innings. And so I challenge you this weekend to allow God to use you. And I want to share with you a message from Hebrews chapter 11 that I hope will, will challenge your heart in a special way. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is one of my favorite chapters because it's, it's all about the heroes of the faith, uh, people that are familiar to you, P stories about Noah building an ark, uh, stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, stories about uh, Joseph and Moses and David and, and many other people in the Old Testament that were so special. Uh, in verse 32 of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still others were chained and put in prison. I think I missed a verse there somewhere. Or did I? That's all right. Uh, we're on verse 35. All right, I've already read 35. We'll go to 37. Here you go. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. And then it says in verse 39, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them, received what they had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Isn't that awesome? It's like they all had worked so hard for a reward that God had planned for us all along. But they won't get their reward until the, until the game's over until the story's finished. And what he's going to tell us right now is that we're part of that story. That God can use you. That God's not finished with you yet. And that we're just part of that story. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not here by chance. We're not a mistake. We're not the result of some...
cosmic explosion. We're not some experiment gone wrong. We're here by design. God has placed us here. And we're here for a reason. And I believe that every one of you is here tonight for a reason. There's somebody you know that you can touch in a special way this weekend. And I hope and pray that you will consider doing that. In Hebrews chapter 12, it goes on to to expound upon what God has in store for us. You know, I mentioned uh, in the end of chapter 11 that God told those people in the Old Testament, I have a promise for you and I want you to work hard for it, but they're not going to receive their reward until we finish the job. We've got to get it done and do what God has asked us to do. And what's interesting is, as Hebrews chapter 12 begins, we see those same heroes of the faith, only they're in a different place. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The writer of Hebrews sees that same group of heroes in the Old Testament, only he sees them this time, they're a great cloud of witnesses. I almost picture them as maybe in in a football or, or a coliseum arena. And they're looking down at the people who are running and who are fighting and who are playing the game. And they're there And they're encouraging us because the only way they win is if we win. They're counting on us. All the work that they did was for us. All the work that they did was for the people who are beyond us. But now it's our turn. We're the one who's up to bat. We're the one who has to get the hit. We're the one who has to score the run. And right now God is looking at us and saying it's time for someone to stand up and do what needs to be done. And so the writer of Hebrews says, there's a great cloud of witnesses here tonight. And even though I'm really uncomfortable tonight because I love to be able to see everybody's face when I preach, but I can't do that anymore. I know you're there, and I know you're listening, and I know your heart's in it. I can can feel it. But there's a great cloud of witnesses up there that are praying for me, encouraging me right now, that I challenge you to finish the race, win the course, so that God will be glorified. And so all those who've run before us will not have run in vain. When I was in, um, in college, I did a little bit of, uh, of running. Uh, I, I was skinny back in those days. Uh, probably weighed 75 pounds less than I do right now. And I was, I was pretty fast. And, and the opening day or, or opening week of the second year of college, we had an athletic competition with some of the other colleges, College of the Albemarle, uh, Elizabeth City State, and Roanoke Bible College. You know, they all had thousands of students. We had maybe less than 200. And yet there were several of us guys that were pretty fast. And so uh, I entered in the four by 100 relay and I was the third leg of the four by 100 relay some of you may know the name Frank Dodson who worked 
the campus ministries. Uh, he was the fourth leg. He was fast as blazing lightning. Well, the first leg of the race, we were doing pretty good. Second leg of the race, doing pretty good. When they passed me the baton, I took off and ran as hard as I could. I, I took off like Archie was chasing me and uh, for food. And, and, and so by the time I got to, the, to, the, to hand off the baton, we were just a little bit ahead, and I handed the baton to Frank Dotson, and I knew because he was so fast we were going to win. And sure enough, Frank Dotson, he sped around that thing like grease lightning and crossed the finish line first. Then I saw the, the officials gather together in a little huddle over there somewhere. And they came over to our team and said, we're going to have to disqualify you because the third leg of the race stepped out of the lane. That was, that was me. Not, not only was I disappointed that I didn't win, we all want to win, don't we? But what really broke my heart was that all of the hard work of the folks who had gone before me was for nothing. And even, and it was almost as if there was nothing that Frank could do to fix the fact that I had dropped the ball by stepping out of the lane. Tonight, as we take a look at this passage of Scripture, I want to tell you, there's a great cloud of witnesses. I, I believe that the heroes of the faith are looking down upon us tonight. And as I've read this, there's a couple other thoughts that come to mind too, you know. There are also people who have run the race between then and now. Maybe your parents, maybe some of the former ministers and, and uh, leaders of this church. For, for hundreds and, and, and th 2,000 years, there have been people who've been running the race, passing the baton. And I believe that they're looking down as well, perhaps, hoping that we will finish the race. But there are also people that we know personally. I, I know my mama. She, she read the Bible to me. We had one one Bible story book. We got it at the grocery store. Back in the days where if you, if you went to the grocery store, they would sell you the first volume of the encyclopedia for 15 cents. And then you take that home. And when you go back the next week, it was several dollars for all of the rest, each one of the rest of them. Well, Mom had volume one of the encyclopedia. She had volume one of the child care uh, or child craft book or whatever it was and she had volume one of the bible story books but she would come in the bedroom every night and read the bible to us before we went to bed the bible stories from that bible story book i can't help but think that the times that i feel discouraged the times i feel like giving up the times i feel like i can't finish the course i know my mom is looking down and probably your mama and maybe grandmama or some other folks that were special to you. And so there's this great cloud of witnesses looking down at us. There's some things that we've got to watch out for. Because they have tripped up so many people throughout histories. And I want to challenge you with those tonight to beware of them. Take a look at your own life and see if some of these things 
aren't keeping you from running the race and keeping you from winning the prize. There in verse 1, it says that let us throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. One translation says, let us uh, throw off the weights. Uh, weights hold you down. Uh, I can imagine uh, if I wanted to be, let's say, an Olympic gymnast. Or, or I wanted to be a, a, an Olympic sprinter. Putting on 50 pounds would probably not help me at all. Would it? Matter of fact, put on 50 pounds, put on 5 pounds in a lot of those circumstances, you have no chance of being successful in those kind of arenas. Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of us that are carrying a lot of extra baggage. Now, in this passage, I want you to notice, he tells us to, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, a lot of folks, when they read through it quickly, think that both of those are the same thing, but it's not. A lot of us look at it and go, yeah, the things that entangle us, the sins, you know, they, they slow us down and keep us from doing things for God. But, but the first part isn't necessarily sins. Matter of fact, some of the things that weigh us down, some of the things that hinder us, are things that are good in and of themselves. There are a lot of folks, I, I, I've known young men that would be preaching in churches around America today if it hadn't have been for families that tied them down or hobbies that they were so engrossed in that they just, they, they couldn't serve the Lord. Uh, so many things that just keep them from doing what God wants them to do. And those things, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. We all have hobbies. You know, uh, we share a couple of hobbies, uh, and Archie and I do, and uh, we love to fish. But if fish kept us from serving the Lord, then we need to get rid of it altogether. Throw it away. Push it out of the side. This weekend, I have a feeling that there are probably some of you in here that some of this is ringing true to you. You're saying, you, you know God could use me this weekend. There's some folks that I know that need to be to church. Maybe I'll bring them Sunday morning where, uh, where preacher Tony comes and he preaches to us about being saved. If you've got a friend that's not saved, bring them Sunday morning. I want to talk to them. You know, if you don't know the right words to say or don't know what to say to them, bring them Sunday morning. I'll be glad to share it with them. And maybe you're thinking, I know somebody like that. But you know, I'm too busy. i got something going on tomorrow. My favorite TV show comes on. And, or maybe there's something i got to do with my family. Or maybe there's something else going on. Let me tell you what. Satan is standing there with piles of stuff that he will hand you. They may not be sin, but they look so good. And sometimes we get so engrossed in them that there's nothing else that we can do for God or even for our families or for anybody else. Reminds me of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. He wanted eternal life. Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. He said, I've done that. Check. Jesus said, well, 
Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible said he turned and he walked away sorrowfully. I think there are probably some of us who fit in that same description. God has something great in store for you. I believe, and I don't know, we'll have to ask the Lord when we get there, but I believe that God had something greater for that rich young ruler than his riches. And he may have even said, if you'll give me your riches, I'll give them back to you, but you just use them for me because they're mine now. And there are times that God does that. Matter of fact, maybe there's something that you've got. Maybe you've got a talent. And the Lord's saying, I want you to give up your talent and follow me. He's not, he doesn't want you to give it up forever. He wants you to give it to Him so that it can be used for Him in His kingdom. And so my challenge to you is, if there's anything that's hindering you, you need to set it down. You know, when Peter, Andrew, James, and John followed Jesus, they left their families, their homes, they left their boats, they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. And they became, what Archie? Fishers of men now, buddy. Fishers of men. If the Lord says, put down your fishing poles, it might be because he wants you to be fishers of men. And so the first thing that we have to be careful about is make sure that everything that hinders us or whatever weighs us down, that we get rid of those things so that we can serve the Lord with gladness. The second thing that I want you to notice is he wants us also to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. You know, it's, it's impossible, Jesus said, for a tree to produce both good and bad fruit or for a stream to produce good and bad water. You can't do that. It's, it's impossible. I can remember when I was in Florida, me and my granddad... Uh, found this vacant lot down there uh, that that you could access the St. John's River. And we went down there and, and did some fishing when he was in his 70s. And uh, we got it got really hot down there in Florida. And we were heading back, and we saw this, I guess it was an artesian well. It was just a pipe coming out of the ground. I mean, there wasn't no pump nothing just a pipe coming out of the ground and there was water bubbling around it and and I should have known when I noticed that there was like a yellow residue down at the bottom it was a some kind of a artesian well but boy the sulfur in it was so thick you couldn't drink it there are many of us that God could use in great ways if we could get the sulfur out of our life. There are a lot of us that God could use in great ways if we could just get the sin out of our life. There's a story in the Old Testament um, that illustrates just how, how powerful sin is in neutralizing the power of God in people's lives. You remember when uh, the children of Israel finally got to the promised land after having to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years because they complained so much. There's a sermon there somewhere. 
They finally get there. They cross the, the Jordan River to the gateway city of the promised land, Jericho. Now, Jericho was, was a strong, powerful city. They had soldiers. They had a, a walled city that was so thick, they had houses in there. Rahab the harlot lived in one of those houses up on the, on, on the, the uh, wall around the city. Uh, they say that they probably were able to drive chariots around the top of that wall of the city of Jericho. It was considered to be impregnable. Nobody could defeat them. And yet Joshua and the Israelites marched around that city. And on the seventh day, marched around seven times. They shouted, they blew their horns. The walls came tumbling down and they were victorious. I guarantee you, throughout the promised land, every single town and city in Canaan knew what had happened there at Jericho. And they were shivering in their boots at the power of God that was shown there. I mean, you can imagine being in town. Did you hear what happened? Jericho fell. What are we going to do? I don't know if you know the second city that they attacked. The second city uh, was the, the city of Ai. <clears throat> I, I kind of jokingly say that it was such a small town, they, they only needed two letters to describe it, A-I. Um, it, and it was a small city. Matter of fact, when, when Joshua was trying to cipher how many soldiers he needed to send, he was trying to figure out, well, maybe two or 3,000 soldiers. And, and he settled on 3,000 and figured that would be a, a gracious plenty. And so he sends those soldiers into battle against the little town of Ai and they were handily defeated. Not Ai, Joshua's soldier, soldiers were handily defeated by the soldiers of Ai. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, <coughs> cough drop break. Satan doesn't want to hear what the rest of it is. Thirty-six men died of the Israelites. They went back home. And you talk about a change in mood. The Israelites went from, we can beat anyone, to scared out of their wits. What's happening? I mean, how can this be? You know? Joshua fell down, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and wept and cried. He didn't know what to do. And God said, get up! said the problem is there's sin in the camp. And God gave him a process whereby he could go by, by families and tribes and, and, and individuals and found out that it was a man by the name of Achan that was guilty. And when he confronted Achan, Achan confessed to his sin. What Achan had done was, was a horrible sin because he had openly and blatantly disobeyed God. 
You see, God is very specific about things. And when, when, when they conquered Jericho, God had told them, everything in Jericho belongs to me, and it's considered sacred things because the first fruits, sound familiar? The first fruits belong to the Lord. So don't take any of the spoils. All of it belongs to me. Got, got Saul in trouble, you remember that story? That's a whole other story. But, but the first fruits belong to me. Well, Achan, while defeating Jericho, came across some things that that poor Israelite had never seen before. He, there was a Babylonian robe. And I have no idea what a Babylonian robe looks like, but it must have looked mighty nice. So he got that. And then he came across 200 shekels of silver. And, and then a wedge of gold that weighed 50 shekels. And he said, I took them. And, and before the story's over, uh, Achan and his family are destroyed because, because Joshua had to get the sin out of the camp before they could go and fight any more battles. They later went and completely destroyed Ai, but it was only after they had removed the sin that so easily entangles us. You know, I noticed that none of us have any trouble getting into sin. But it's mighty hard to get out of it, isn't it? And I hope and pray that if, if there's something in your life that's keeping you from doing those things that God wants you to do this weekend at this revival, hope and pray that you'll go home tonight and talk to the Lord about it and say, Lord, I, I, I want to I honor you. I'm going to get rid of those things that are, that are sinful. Uh, and I want to make sure that I honor you because only in honoring God can we serve Him. Now, the good news is, and there's a story in the Bible to back this up, even if you have sinned and lost your power through God, you can regain it. And the story is the story of Samson. It was sin that caused him to lose his great power. Never been a man as powerful as Samson, blessed by God, but, but he, was, he was a man that was supposed to be living a Nazarite vow, and yet in his life, he broke every single one of the regulations of the Nazarite vow. Every one of them. God said, that's enough. No more power. And when his hair was cut, Every bit of his strength left him. Not only that, but he lost his eyesight because they poked his eyes out as well. He was bound and, and caused to, to grind grain for the rest of his life until he prayed to the Lord one more time. He said, Lord, let me, let me honor you one more time. Give me my strength back. And God granted him one more opportunity, and he went there into the Colosseum of the Philistines, and he asked somebody to show him where the columns were. And as he prayed, God gave him the power, and the house came tumbling down. 
I'm here to tell you, I, I don't care what you've done in your past. Because God has already paid for it through Jesus Christ. This, this is the, 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 the part of my sermon where I want to remind you that Jesus Christ came to, si to save sinners. That's the reason he came. One reason. He came to save you. He came to save me. His blood was shed to wash away my sins. And it doesn't matter how great my sin or your sin. Blood of, blood of Jesus Christ covers it all. And so if you're here tonight and you're not saved. Or, or you've fallen back into sin. God has the blood of Jesus available to cleanse you. If you're not a Christian, you need to, to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you've already been saved, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so tonight... You don't have to confess it to Archie. You don't have to confess it to me. You do have to confess it to God. You may need to go home tonight and get down on your knees before your bed and say, Lord, I've blown it. Forgive me, Lord, and let me serve you this week weekend. Lord, I've got a friend that I need to talk to. Cleanse me so that I can go and be the one that talks to them about Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2 Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of, our, of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, when you're playing baseball, they teach you how to hit the ball. They say, keep your eye on the ball. So, if you want to be a servant of God, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. There's a whole lot of things out there saying, look at me. You know, look over here. The Satan is constantly trying to distract us. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so, tonight, I want to encourage you. It's your turn at bat. It's your turn to step up to the plate. It's your turn for God to use you. I have a feeling that at least a few of you in here have already thought of somebody that you need to talk to this weekend. I'm going to pray in a minute before Archie comes back up that God will give you the courage and strength to put everything else that may hinder you aside if there's any sin that's standing away, that He will forgive that of you and that you can keep your eyes on Him. And may God give us a revival. Lord knows our country needs it. Our churches need it. We need it personally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much that Your Word reminds us that there are folks who have already done so much for us. Not only the folks that we read about in Hebrews 11, but gracious. Uh, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, what an incredible act of love and selflessness for Him 
to take our place. I thank you, Lord, for the apostles and others who have brought the gospel through the centuries to us so that we have it now and that we can be saved. But dear Lord, there are folks in this community that don't know Jesus. And we know who some of those people are. I pray, dear God, that you will remove the weights and the sin, open our eyes, help us, Lord, to do something great. And Lord, I pray that if nothing else, I pray that tonight that everyone here will know God can use you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.